Everyone in that video faced some kind of challenge, some kind of obstacle, some problem in life. And they all claim that they overcame because of the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. And I think if we went around this room, we would tell similar stories. I know many of the stories. I think we could give the same kind of proclamation, the same kind of uh, testimony to the power of Jesus in our lives uh, as we've struggled. And you may be facing a struggle today, or you may have faced a struggle, and you know that it was only the power of Jesus in your life that made you able to push through or press on or overcome it. Some of us have those in our past. Some of us have them in our future. Some of us are in the middle of them right now. And if that's where you are today, I want to let you know that we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that's a promise from God that says if you follow Jesus, he will lead you to, to a victorious life. He will lead you to overcome the obstacles that you face. And if you're uh, in this place today, um, over the next 20 or 25 minutes, you feel like you'd like to pray with someone or have someone pray for you at any time, even while I'm talking, I don't mind at all. Just get up, go to the back of the room. We have a prayer space in the back. You can sit there and pray. You can have someone pray with you. And you can ask Jesus to help you overcome whatever it is you're challenged with in these days. So I mentioned that we're going to look at a passage that talks about that. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians. And it is, it's a promise that if we follow Jesus, he will lead us to victory. And if you're interested in hearing more about God's promises and God's faithfulness, uh, you can uh, get on our website and go to the a message from two weeks ago called God's Promises that talks about God's 100% faithfulness and his promises to us. And what we're going to look at today in this passage is in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a New Testament book. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's his second letter to the Corinthian church. And it goes like this. Paul wrote two letters. In his first letter, he was addressing so many issues in the church. They were really messing up. They were doing a lot of things wrong. And he addressed many of those things in his first letter. And then by the time he wrote his second letter, they started to get things together. And they were getting better at doing two things, loving God and loving others. And that's what we want to do. So we're looking at this letter of 2 Corinthians so we can learn from them how to love God and love others better and better because we want to continue to grow in that. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, verses 14 through 17. And if you would like to have a Bible in your hands while we look at it, put your hand up. An usher will bring you one. I'm going to read the passage. It's up here behind me. You can read along. But you can have that Bible. If you don't, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home with you. If you need one, just indicate and we'll bring it to you. So in this passage I'm about to read, Paul uses a graphic illustration from his day, that was a regular practice that his readers would recognize. It would form this picture in their mind right away as he read through this imagery of how Jesus leads us to victory. I'm going to read it and then I'll explain what that is. He writes this, starting in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Paul is referring to a practice here that Roman soldiers would engage in. Rome in the day wanted to conquer the entire known world. 
They wanted everything to come under the rule of Rome. They wanted to dominate. They wanted to see themselves as unbeatable, a divine empire. And one of the ways they reinforced this image of Rome's dominance is if a commander went to battle somewhere and was victorious, which they expected a Roman commander would be every time, they would bring some of their captives into the local town and they would parade them around the town like a victory parade. And it would be in a line, a processional. It would look like this. You would have the commander first, and then some of the soldiers, and then some of the captives, and then a few more of the soldiers, and they would walk around town while fragrant spices were burned in the streets so that a fragrant aroma filled the air as the commander marched his captives around. And they were stripped. They were stripped of their uniforms. They were stripped of their rank. They were stripped of their power. They were stripped of their authority. They were totally disarmed and absolutely defeated. And as the commander paraded them around town, it reinforced in everyone's mind the dominance of the Roman Empire and the victory of that commander and his soldiers that were in the line with them. But Paul's not so concerned about Rome and Rome's dominance and whether Rome was getting the message across that they were the most powerful empire on the planet. Paul was concerned about Christ and us and his Corinthian readers and their relationship with Christ and that they would understand the victory that they have in Jesus. And so he's taking this imagery and he's applying it to Jesus Christ. Look at it again now. Now that you know that picture, now that you know what Paul is referring to, it says right in the beginning of this passage, it says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So I want to show you another passage that describes Jesus' victory and what it is he invites us into. It's in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is another New Testament letter written to the church um, in, uh, in Colossae. And Paul is the writer here. And he's writing this to the people he writes in Colossians 2 verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul is using the same imagery here, slightly different wording. But he's using the same imagery. And what he's saying is, is that we had an indebtedness to God that had to be canceled, that had to be dealt with. That before God, we owed him a debt because of our sin, because of the stubbornness of our heart, because of our disobedience, because we worked so hard at pushing God away, because we took God off of his rightful throne. And we said, no longer, God, do we want you to rule. I want to rule my own life, which is the essence of sin. And in that stubbornness and in that disobedience, owed a great debt to God that he canceled by sending Jesus to the cross. He canceled my debt. He canceled your debt. And he offers us forgiveness. And he invites us into this victorious life of following Jesus. That's what Jesus did on the cross. But he did even more than that. It says he took the powers and the authorities and the rulers of this world, Satan and his demonic forces who stand against God and everything that is good and right and righteous. And he disarmed them. And he made a public spectacle of them. Same image. Now picture Jesus as a conquering commander. He's gone to the cross. 
He was innocent. He did not deserve death, but he willingly took death upon himself. He allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, and there he died. But we know that story. He didn't stay there. They put his dead body in a tomb, and he rose from the dead. Jesus was victorious over death. And in so doing, absolutely stripped and defeated the powers of this dark world. He stripped them of their rank. He stripped them of their uniforms. He stripped them of their power and their authority. And he leads them as a public disgrace to show how utterly defeated they were. This is a really interesting picture for me because I think so often we think of Jesus as gentle and meek and mild, right? There's even a prayer that my mother-in-law used to say to my children when they were little. Every night when she was babysitting for them and she would put them to bed, the prayer would start like this, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon this little child. And we tend to think about Jesus as gentle and not frightening. But I am convinced that Satan and his forces are terrified of Jesus. They know his power. They know his authority. They know that before him they are utterly defeated and powerless and stripped of any authority. I think they shake in their boots at the sound of his name. I think they want to turn and flee at his presence. He's the one who has the power to cast them into the abyss to utterly destroy them. We need to once in a while stop thinking about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and think about Jesus, conqueror and victor, who conquered death, who canceled our debt before God, who removed our legal indebtedness, nailed it to the cross, who defeated every dark force and left them stripped and embarrassed and defeated. And Jesus leads, it says in 2 Corinthians, a triumphal procession, like a victory parade. I was picturing a runner. When a runner finishes a race, what do they do? They run a victory lap. And that victory, in that victory lap, the race is over. The competition's ended. The winner's already been declared. It's all about celebration. It's all about declaring who won. And that's what Jesus' triumphal procession is about. In that, the battle's over. The victory's won. It's about proclaiming who won. And Jesus invites us to follow him. And in that invitation, gives us victory. Just like the stories you heard in that video. Whatever challenge you face in this life, whatever struggle is thrown against you, whatever obstacle is in your path, God never promises he'll remove it. God never promises he'll make life easy, but he promises in Jesus Christ that he'll give you what you need to press through it and to overcome and to be victorious. When the Roman commander led the parade through town, there were fragrances burned in the street to just fill the street with a warm and inviting fragrance and aroma. So that whenever the people smelled that particular spice or particular fragrance again, they would remember. It would seal in their memory Rome's dominance. And Paul takes that same imagery and he says that's how it is in Jesus. That when Jesus leads us in his processional and we decide to join in, and here the choice is ours. You can decide to face your life's obstacles and your life's struggles completely on your own. 
under your own wisdom and under your own strength. God will never force you. But there's no promise, there's no guarantee if you do it on your own that you'll get through. But when we decide to follow Jesus, when we join him in his processional, he promises that we'll be victorious, that we'll be overcomers in him and in his power. And so as we join his parade and as we join his processional, there's a fragrance, there's an aroma that comes from him. And it's the fragrance of life, this says. It's an interesting thing about the sense of smell. You you may know this already. I looked it up because I know that the sense of smell seals itself around some of the memories that are in my brain. And this is what I found out, that the olfactory bulb is part of the body's limbic system. And the limbic system is connected to the emotional center of your brain. That's where your emotional memories are stored. So your sense of smell has direct access to the, the... sealing and containing and remembering of your emotional memories. That's why you can smell something and a memory from years ago will come right back. I smell hot, wet grass on a summer day and I remember double sessions in August with my nose pressed into the grass on the downside of a push-up. And the sour smell of a locker room brings me right back to those days. Sometimes certain foods will bring me right to a holiday celebration in my memory. You know, the dusty smell of plastic reminds me of Christmas as a child as we gathered around our artificial Christmas tree. (laughs) Do you have memories like that? You want to share one? Anybody uh, thinking of, oh, when I smell this, it reminds me of that? Go ahead, Victoria. uh, Foods that you smell remind you of your father? Yeah, his favorite foods. Yes, because that smell is connected to an emotional memory you have of your dad. Isn't that wonderful how God designed that? Another one? Go ahead, Mo. Burning wood. Oh, from open fires in Puerto Rico? Oh, okay. So burning wood reminds you of being in Puerto Rico with, did you say your grandmother? Yeah, again, that smell is connected to an an emotional center in your brain that triggers that memory. Go ahead, Julie. Oh. So, so, uh, in case you didn't hear that, she dated a guy who wore the same deodorant as her older brother. (laughs) There's no guarantee that the emotional memories are pleasant. (laughs) Your your smell is connected to your emotional memories, like it or not. I assume that was pleasant. Oh, good. good. Your brother or the guy you were dating? Both. Okay. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about today? I'm completely lost now. <laughs> Isn't it an amazing way that, that God created us, though, that something we smell can trigger an emotional response and draw an emotional memory that's been stored away for years and years? Um, and we can have that. That being around Jesus can bring those memories. And being around other people who are around Jesus, it's like a fragrance. You know what it's a little bit like? Have you ever hugged someone, I'll say a woman, who is deeply perfumed? And you kind of smell like that off and on during the day. You come away saying, whoo, yeah, I hugged so-and-so this morning. That's what it's like when you're around Jesus. You start to smell like him. And it's the fragrance of life. Jesus is life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
And when we decide to follow Jesus, we have that life like a fragrant aroma. It's a beautiful smell. And you smell like that. You carry the aroma of Christ if you follow him. But there's a second part to this. Because the passage says, to some it's the fragrance of life. And to others it's the smell of dench. It's a stench. So what's the difference? How come sometimes Jesus smells like life and when we're around him, we smell like life because we smell like him. But to some people it smells like death. It's really dependent on the person who's smelling it because the aroma doesn't change. What's happening here is for those who recognize that Jesus is life, it's the sweetest smell. For those who recognize that Jesus is life and get in line with him and follow him, it's the sweetest fragrance because it leads us to the abundant life Tom mentioned earlier in our service and eternal life that we have moving on into heaven beyond this life. And it's a wonderful, beautiful smell. But to some people who have rejected Jesus, who say, I will not follow him. I don't believe in him. I'm not going to get in line with him. It stinks. It's not a nice smell. It's a convicting smell. It smells like death. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that sounds a little bit like this. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, excuse me, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is this. We sinned. We deserved punishment. But God gives us a pardon because Jesus took our punishment on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus went there. He was taking a punishment that he didn't deserve in our place for us. And if we will accept that gift, it's life to us. It's the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. Because we placed our faith in Jesus and we recognize what's happened there at the cross. But to others, it's foolishness. It sounds ridiculous. What do you mean Jesus went to the cross instead of me? That makes no sense. What do you mean people are sinners? I'm a good person. And people are good people. And God's a good God. He's going to accept everybody. That, that cross business is foolishness. To some people, it sounds silly. But to those who have come to the foot of the cross and they're fallen on their face and said, Jesus, I am desperately lost without what you did on the cross. I need your grace and I need your forgiveness and I'll follow you. It's no longer foolishness. It turns into the power of God because it saves us. Paul said it this way, to some it smells like life, and to others it smells like death. There's a proclamation involved here in joining Jesus' parade. When you get in line and follow Jesus, and you say, I will walk with him in his triumphal procession, I'll follow him, I'll face the obstacles with the power he gives me to get by, I'll live my life with him as my master and me as the follower, we're making a statement. We're making a proclamation. That's part of what the fragrance represents. Our lives should proclaim that. Our lives should declare that we are followers of Christ. What I do and what I say should point to him and give off the same fragrance of life that he gives off. There's a statement being made. There's a proclamation. It's kind of a challenging question. I'll just throw out there and then we'll move on. If you are a follower of Christ. 
if you call yourself a follower of Christ and consider that you're one of the people in that line following Jesus in victory, how's your proclamation going? How's that statement? Do people know? Are you giving off a fragrance? To some, the fragrance of life. And let's be honest, to others, the stench of death. Because you'll find both. When you live for Jesus, you'll find some who say, wow, that's really compelling. You have such peace. You've got something I want. Can you give me a reason that you have hope in your life? And you'll have others who say you're ridiculous, following a false God and putting all your hope in the next life. You'll have both. Do you have that in your life? Jesus said he'll lead us in victory, that if we will follow him, we can be overcomers. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 39, the Apostle Paul writes this. He writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This statement doesn't say we are conquerors. It says we're more than conquerors. We're excessive conquerors. We're addicted to conquering. We're bigger than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We conquer like crazy if we follow Christ. It means there's no obstacle too big for God to lead you through. It means there's nothing you can't overcome in your life with the power of Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. Sometimes I need the reminder to live that way. I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't live that way. Sometimes I forget that Jesus said I'm more than a conqueror. And I live defeated. I live under the weight of everything. Feeling like it's all winning and I'm losing. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, if I continue to remind myself that I follow him, that he's the master and I'm the follower, and that he calls me a conqueror and that he gives me power to live, then I can get through whatever life throws at me in him. Not in my own strength, not in my own wisdom, not in my own abilities, but in what Jesus will give me if I put my faith in him. And you might be at that decision point today. You might in your life make most of your decisions yourself without calling on God or turning to Jesus or asking him for help. This might be a day for you to change that. To say, I've got to stop being the Lord of my own life and make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to get in that victory parade and follow him instead of trying to lead my own around. If that's you, it's a simple thing, really. It's a decision in your mind and heart to say, I'm not Lord. Jesus is. And I can't erase my own sin. I can't overcome all life's obstacles. I need Jesus to help me. And in a personal, quiet prayer, you can do this all by yourself. You just say, Jesus, your Lord, I'm not. Forgive me of the wrong things I've done. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Be my ruler. Be my Lord. Something like that. The exact words don't matter. The intent of your heart and mind does. And when you do, I give you this guarantee. Jesus will change you. He will change your heart and the devotions of your heart. And he will invite you to follow him in this victory he promises. So a couple last thoughts. One is that when the Roman commander led this victory parade, it wasn't just him who won the battle. He was at the front of the line. But it was every soldier, everyone. Jesus won our victory. We can't claim that ourselves. But he invites us into it to celebrate with him his victory. And it struck me that what this 
Roman commander was celebrating wasn't the end of the war. It was a battle. Because sometimes we think about Jesus and victory only at the end. We think, yes, at the end, Jesus will be victorious. At the end, there'll be a big victory celebration. At the end, everything will set be, right, be set to right. And while that's true, Jesus leads us to victory in the skirmishes, in the battles, in the little ones here, in the bigger ones there, in life now. We don't have to wait till the end to have a victory parade. Jesus wants us to overcome in the power he gives us today. And then there was one word. There was one word in this passage that jumped off the page at me. I've read this passage, I can't even tell you how many times. And I've heard it taught, I probably have taught it myself. But for some reason, this time, the word always screamed off the page at me. So if we could, uh, from the back, put the uh, second... Corinthians 2, 14 verse back up. You're going to have to jump because I hadn't planned on it. Did you find that one, V? I'm going to read it. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Always, always, continually, every time. Not once in a while. Not once. That word always means that he will continually lead us in victory. That he will every time lead us to overcome. If we follow him, it's always on us to choose. If we put our faith in him, if we follow him, if we trust in his power. That he always, continually, every time, from now till the day you die, will lead you in triumphal procession. And he will always, if you allow him to, use you to spread that beautiful fragrance of life into the lives of the people around you. Always, continually, every time, every day of your life. So I'm going to have the band come up, and we're going to end with a song that you may remember if you were here around Easter time. It's called The Same Power. And it's a song about the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. It was kind of our theme song during our Easter season a few months ago. And the reason that we were so happy to use that song at Easter time is because it's based on a verse in the book of Ephesians that says this, the same power that God exerted, that's a great word, isn't it? That God exerted, the same great power that it took to raise a dead man, the same power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in you. That same awesome, life-giving power that brought Jesus back from the dead after three days in a cold grave is at work in you. And we can be victorious in that. We can walk in that. We can access that. If we say, Jesus, I need your help. I need that power. I will follow you. And I will trust you. And I will go your way. When we do that, the same power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Let's sing that as a declaration, as a proclamation as a celebration and wrap up our time together.